Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. You know, uh, I know a lot of y'all came to church this morning. It was easy. You just got up and you bounced in here. But I know, I know some of you came to church and it was really hard because you're grieving, you're angry, you got conflict in your family, you've lost a loved one. And I just want to say I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you for coming and saying, you know, when life is really hard, it's not a time to stay away. It's a time to be with the family. So um, really proud of you folks for doing that. All right, so if you're willing and able, why don't you stand? We're going to read God's Word. We're continue our series on the Westminster Confession of Faith, okay? We're going through these chapters. Uh, the Confession is a summary of Christian doctrine uh, on the Bible. And this morning, we're going to look at freedom uh, and the law. We're going to read Romans chapter 8. First four verses, Paul writes to the Roman church, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he has condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Father, this is your very word. Would you help those who listen? And would you help the one who speaks? For his sins are many. Amen. You may be seated. All right, you feel it. You definitely feel it. We all do. In fact, it's one of the most crippling things that we know. We feel guilt. We feel a sense of condemnation. In fact, sometimes people will tell you or you'll tell yourself, it makes absolutely no sense that I feel guilty. But yet, we still do. Karen Pulaski says, she's told me that when she's uh, setting up some appointments for me, you know, people to come meet with me, I just want to see how they're doing or whatever. She says that often people will respond to the phone call by saying, have I done something wrong? (laughs) There was a 91-year-old man who confessed to a murder that he committed 70 years ago. And the sources said that he was pretty healthy for a 91-year-old guy and that mentally he was sharp. But he said he absolutely had to clear his conscience before he died. A.W. Tozier highlights this tension we feel. He says, The ancient image of God whispers within every man an everlasting hope. 
that somewhere he will continue to exist. Still, he cannot rejoice. For the light that lights every man has come into the world, troubles his conscience, frightening him with proof of guilt and evidence of a coming death. And so he is ground between the upper millstone of hope and the nether stone of fear. So what, uh, what killed Judas? His conscience, his guilt. What's killing your joy in the Christian life? Same. You know, in Matthew 26, it says this. It says, when the evening came, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And they begin to say, one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it I? That's our question. We feel guilt. We're asking, is it I? Am I enough? Will I fail again? Can I really do this? Will people find out I'm a fraud? And we feel condemnation often, not just because we know we've done something wrong, but we can feel a sense of condemnation because we just feel worthless, because we don't measure up to some standard. Is it I? Well, a matter of fact, yes, it is. It is you. So would you like to have your conscience set free? Well, you don't have to wait 70 years like the old man did. Let's look at this together. Take your sermon outline. First, free from, freedom from condemnation. Here's what the confession says. The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, the bondage of Satan, the dominion of sin, the sting of death, and everlasting damnation. So you could summarize that whole thing by just saying freedom from condemnation. Paul said in Romans 8 that we read, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Two words. No condemnation. And that sums up our position in Christ. We are free from all the forementioned. God has nothing against us. This is a really, really strong phrase. Because it means no condemnation at all. It means it does not exist. It does not say, oh, well, you're free from condemnation for a while, but at any time you could fall back under condemnation, so you better watch yourself. No, it means no condemnation at all. It does not exist like the unicorn does not exist. Bigfoot does not exist. Sorry, Dan Shipes, if you're here. There can never be any condemnation for us. There is nothing but acceptance and welcome. But the problem, the tension, is we forget this. 
And we don't let this truth go to the places where we feel the most insecure, the most condemned. So when we forget this truth, one of the things that we do is we condemn ourselves. We feel far more guilt and unworthiness and pain than we should. We become very driven to prove ourselves, highly sensitive to any kind of criticism, very defensive, and and it strikes fear in our heart that we would actually be really wrong about something. A lack of confidence in relationship, a lack of confidence in our position with Christ. In fact, even addictions flow from this because it's a reaction to the deep sense of guilt and unworthiness. And counselors, counselors will tell you that this is the thing that their clients struggle with the most, this sense of, of self-loathing, self-rejection, that we, we beat ourselves up, we're making ourselves pay. And we do this because we have in fact failed God, we have in fact failed others, but also we just feel so small, so worthless. Henry Nouwen sums it up well. He says, the real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I'm rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves it again. I'm a nobody. My dark side says I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy to the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of my existence. Had a guy in our church meet with me a few years ago and and really liked this guy. Um, Really a sweetheart of a man. And he came and we met and I had no idea why we were meeting and he told me all about his time in Vietnam. He told me the horror of of his comrades perishing. He told me of three occasions where they were in battle where the person closest to him was blown up by bullets and died right there. And he was at no fault whatsoever for any of these deaths. But he said he felt so guilty. He felt so much condemnation. He said, he said, he kept saying to me over and over again, why did I get to live? I mean, it was heartbreaking. Lewis Smedes wrote a book called Guilt and Shame. And he says in the book, he says, even when we're not wrestling with guilt over a known sin or failure, he said, we still feel a sense of condemnation. This is what he says. Guilt was not my problem as I felt it. What I felt most was a glob of unworthiness that I could not tie down to any concrete sin. The glob of unworthiness. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, my two favorite actors. Tom Hanks has won two Academy Awards. He's appeared in over 70 films. Listen to what he says about his troubling conscience. It's a high wire act we all walk. There are days when I know that at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, I'm gonna have to deliver some degree of emotional goods. If I can't do it, that means I'm gonna have to fake it. And if I fake it, that means they might catch me at faking it. And if they catch me at faking it, well, then it's just doomsday. 
Do you feel that? Do you feel that pressure to deliver, to produce? The second thing we do when we forget this truth is that we condemn others. When we forget this gospel truth that we're free from condemnation because guilty people want to make other people feel guilty. Those who feel condemned or feel worthless will condemn others. And it's interesting, we actually do this mainly by making up laws or using God's laws to condemn other people so that we can feel superior, so that we can feel justified. It's like the Pharisee who said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then he gives a list of people and he gives a list of the rules that they have broken. Look at this uh, picture here. This guy's got this on the back of his truck. He says, if I just pass you on the right, you're an idiot. There's a slow lane and there's a fast lane. And if I pass you on the right, you're an idiot. I told Ray, he's got to take that off his truck. No, what's he doing? The guys, the guys uh, some of you are going, amen, I, you know, I love that. But he's got a command. He is making a demand. He has a command. He has a rule for driving on the road. And that he is going to condemn you if you don't keep that. Of course, he believes he never violates that command. But he feels righteous. He's a righteous driver. Hey, we do this in every area of life. We cancel people online, underneath our breath, at Publix, at the DMV, politically, during the pandemic, we, uh, the waitress, the teacher, the coach, even our own children. Look at these commands or rules that we might make for our children. Why are you so selfish? Stop whining. This is my favorite. Because I am your mother. Why can't you just be normal? Now, when your kids are being selfish, of course that is wrong. They should not be selfish. But how are they supposed to respond to a demand of, why can't you just be normal? What are they supposed to do? All they can do is feel condemned. How about these ones for marriage? You don't say these, but because <laughs> you want to live. But, hey, it would be nice if you helped me out once in a while. What's the command? I do all the work around here. Uh, I don't remember you telling me that. In other words, what's the command? I remember everything. I'm perfect. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. Here we go again. Why can't you do just this one thing? All right, how about these for work? You're holding up my work. You don't recognize the great job I'm doing. Why don't you work as hard as others? Why is there never any paper in this copy machine? Why do I always have to replace the paper? Why wasn't I consulted? Listen, I, I have said or thought these in, at work often. Okay? These commands, these rules... When my wife and I were uh, newly married, we were on a road trip together and I was driving and she was reading the Atlas 
you know, the map. There was no GPS. And uh, so she told us to make a certain turn, and she read the map incorrectly, and we got lost. And like, when you're lost, you're lost. And I got really mad at her. And I was really critical of her. Well, in that moment, I was the lawbreaker. I wrongly used the law, the rule I made up, that demanded correct map reading must always be done on our trips. Right? See, there's nothing immoral about reading the map wrong. Her reading the map incorrectly was unintentional. But my anger and condemnation of her was intentional. And we do this, we make these laws for others that they must keep because down deep we're trying to remove our own sense of condemnation and we are not free. And Paul tells us in the passage and elsewhere that God's law and even the standards that we make for other people that they does not have any power to free us. It cannot free us from guilt cannot free us from bondage to sin it cannot give us the holy spirit it cannot make us righteous it has no power to cleanse your conscience and it cannot look at you and say i'm proud of you the law does not have power to do that and so no condemnation this is what dane ortland says god's forgiving redeeming restoring touch reaches down to the darkest crevices of our souls Those places where we are most shamed, most defeated, and we feel the most condemnation. More than this, these crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves to go the most. Do you hear that? He loves to go to those places in you. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. In an introductory speech class at a university, the professor began the first day of class by having the students introduce themselves by answering two questions. What do you like about yourself and what do you not like about yourself? Nearly hiding in the back of the room was Dorothy. Her long red hair hung around her face, obscuring it from view. When it was Dorothy's turn to introduce herself, there was only silence in the room. Thinking perhaps that she had not heard the question, the professor moved his chair over near hers and gently repeated the question. Again, only silence. Finally, with a deep sigh, Dorothy sat up in her chair, pulled back her hair, revealing her face, And covering nearly half of her face was a large red birthmark, nearly as red as her hair. That, she said, that should show you what I don't like about myself. Moved with compassion, this godly professor leaned over and gave her a hug. And then he kissed her right on that red birthmark. And she began to sob uncontrollably. And when she finally got a measure of composure, she said this, No one has ever touched my face there 
Even my parents would not touch my face on my shame. The ugly places, the places where we feel the most shame, the most insecure, the most condemned, he most willingly goes there. He loves to go there. And sometimes the question is, will you go there? Will you let him take you to that way of healing? Free from condemnation. Second, free freedom to obey. This is what the catechism says. The law is of great use to them as well as others. It, in that, as a rule of life, informing them the will of God and their duty. It directs them and binds them to walk accordingly, discovering also the sinful pollution of their nature, hearts and lives, so as examining themselves thereby that they may come to further conviction of, humility for, and hatred against sin, together with a clear sight of their need to have Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him is not out of slavish fear, but out of childlike love and a willing mind. We are under grace. Now, Paul says in Romans 6, he says to them, he says, you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. And this has confused many people over the years. So does it mean that we, have, we do not have an obligation to obey the law? No. We absolutely do have an obligation to obey the law. So to be under the law, what he's referring to, he's not referring to law obeying. He's referring to law relying. When we think that we can justify ourselves by obeying God's law, then the law will become a crushing burden to us. We will be under the law. But when we learn that Christ has fulfilled the law for us and that for those who now believe in him, we are secure in his love. So now we naturally want to delight in him and know him and love him back. And so how do we do this? By seeking to obey the law. Because Christ has obeyed the law perfectly, the pressure is off to try to use the law to justify ourselves. The burden is lifted we seek to obey the law out of love, motivated and empowered by the gospel and the spirit. He doesn't love you more because you obey. He doesn't love you less because you fail to obey. We have an advocate. The pressure is off and the delight and the power is on full force. Now, the problem is, is that we don't believe this. And we actually don't prefer it. We prefer to try to use our performance to justify ourselves. We prefer to be under the law. We default to that all the time because we want to feel good about how we're doing. We don't want to be dependent on him. And the result is this leads to hypocrisy, to self-deception, to hiding and, and faking it a lot. And you know what? Goodness is easy to fake. Look what Steve Brown says about this. He says, Christians, by and large, are neurotic about purity, obedience, and holiness. It's probably the main reason we're not very pure, obedient, and holy. 
And to maintain our witness, we have to learn to fake it. Because the pressure is on. But Christ has brought an end to the law to justify ourselves. Christ is the end of the law for condemnation and self-loathing. Christ is the end of the law regarding legalism and license. But Christ is the beginning of the law as a path for loving God without condemnation. So we no longer have to use everything in our lives to justify ourselves or to hide our shame. We are set free to obey. It's a win-win. As Steve Brown said elsewhere, he said this in seminary, I remember this, he said, God gives you enough gasoline to live the Christian life and he forgives you when you don't. That's a win-win. And so in this freedom, it means we don't have to fake it. We can be honest about our sin and our failure because it won't crush you. The power of the, power of the law to condemn you is gone. And so it also means that you're free to welcome fellow strugglers, right? Because you're free from, from self-condemnation, you're free from condemnation, and so you don't have to condemn other people to justify yourself or to feel superior. You're free from that, so you, you can welcome people. So you're, you are safe, you confess what's going wrong in your life, you're open about that, and people feel safe to come to you to be, to be open about it. Because you're not so worried about being so perfect all the time. You don't have to be awesome. <laughs> Jesus was awesome for you. So you're free. Then there's condemnation versus conviction in our freedom. Now the law does have a convicting work in your life. But now it can be understood as a gracious thing. I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is summarizing Uh, the Ten Commandments in a very comprehensive way. Here's some of the highlights. He insists that we love our neighbor, be free from hatred, free from lust, be honest, always seeking the best interests of others, never seeking revenge, give to the poor, forgive, love your enemy, give your money away in astonishing proportions, and have a dynamic prayer and worship life. It's daunting. And if you look at the law of God... Sometimes you can feel naked, exposed, and helpless. Like, who could ever do all that? And so you have to go to the mercy of God. But in this, because we're free from condemnation, you realize that God is exposing us in in our brokenness by his law, that that's ultimately a glorious thing. That God is trying to show you the way of love. That God is trying to show you the way of human flourishing for your good. It's like a trainer. You, you go to the gym and you have a trainer and he's trying to help you with your weak and flabby muscles. And what he's requiring to do, what he wants you to obey, is going to make you stronger and more flourishing. But it's hard. It's work. There's resistance. There's tension. But his coaching of you, his correction of you is not punishment for your failure. It's for your good. And you know, the Bible, the Bible's really clear 
that God disciplines those whom he loves, that he disciplines us when we break the law. But again, it's for our good. It's for our glory. It's for our freedom. You know, it's like when, if you hurt your arm, okay? And um, that's painful enough. Something's broken. But you've got to go to physical therapy. And you've got to do physical therapy to make it strong. You've got to have to obey the commands of physical therapy. You know, this is very clear in my house. Because my daughter, Sashi, uh, has physical therapy all the time. She has several palsy. And she is always in pain when she does it. And sometimes she cries. And sometimes she experiences frustration. But you have never seen a person who loves it more. Her favorite day of the week is when she has physical therapy. And she does not see it from slavish fear. She sees it with childlike trust and delight. Because she knows it's being done out of love. And she knows it's for her flourishing. And so, and she's utterly convinced of that. I mean, she does an elliptical for 45 minutes a day. And she sings at the top of her lungs every time. And she gets off and she is dripping. And she says, thank you, Father. (laughs) She's utterly convinced it's for her good. Working against her brokenness and her failure to have a perfect body. She obeys the physical therapy. And so she is free. Are you free to see God's work of the law in your life? Paul tells us that we must stand firm in this freedom. That we must not lose this freedom the gospel gives us. That the law, in a sense, must stay in its place. That we don't fall back into slavery and condemnation. He tells us in Galatians 5 that the law, the gospel actually gives us the power to say no to the law when the law tries to condemn us wrongly. Um, This is a picture of uh, an NBA player. His name is Dikembe Mutombo. He's retired now. The dude is seven foot two. And uh, he had over 3,000 career blocks. And he's holding up his finger. And he's not saying, hey, my team's number one. Whenever he would block a shot, and whenever he would take somebody, they'd come into the lane, he'd block their shot, he'd knock it into the stands. Whenever he would do that, he'd run down the court and he'd go, no, no, no. Don't you bring that in here. No, no, no love it. When the law tries to condemn us for failing to obey, the gospel says no condemnation. And we can wag our finger and say, no, 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 Mr. Law. That's not your place to condemn me for my failure. I love what Luther says, this this exact thing. He says, know your place, O law. Condemn me not, for I have the righteousness of Christ. Know your boundaries. Do not try to climb into my conscience and condemn me. For my conscience is a lady and a queen. 
Know your place, O law. You do well to inform me of my sin and to show me my beautiful place in Christ. But dare you not rob me of my hope and joy. Condemn me not. Hound me no more about my lack of performance. Christ is my covering and my song of redemption. He has kept your demands perfectly. You have no voice over the hope of my heart. Do not hum your dirge of condemnation in my presence. Show me the way of love, for in that you are beautiful to those in Christ. But do not wag your finger of condemnation in my face. Christ has valiantly rescued me from your accusing glare and your stern look of disapproval. No, 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 Mr. Law. No condemnation for those in Christ. Finally, the confession talks about our freedom to worship. He says, but under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace. So the confession is reminding us of how worship was done in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was a burden. It was a lot of work. There was lots of animal sacrifices, and the priest had to do all this work, all this shedding of blood, all this sweat just to worship. It was not free worship. (laughs) And it was a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But now... It is still a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living and holy God. But Jesus has met the demands of holiness for us. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is kind of going through the Old Testament way of worship. Okay? He's laying it out. He's reminding his readers about it. And then he makes this huge pivot on Jesus. And he says, now... Jesus has blown the doors and given us this incredible access to God to worship him. This is what he says in summary. He says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. The divine Son of God is never ceasing. He is always bringing His atoning life and death and resurrection before the Father in a moment-by-moment way. Christ is turning the eyes of the Father, the holy eyes of God, onto His righteousness and His holiness. And He's taking the eyes of the Father and His, His eyes away from our sin. And He is relentless to do this with joy never letting up in his vibrant compassion to intercede for us day after day, freeing us continually to get the gospel that we might have access to worship the Father with complete freedom and joy. Watch this little uh, short video. It's just one look at you. And I know it's gonna be a lovely day. 
She's relentless. That little girl, she, there's no, she does not, there's no diminishing of her joy to greet her brother every day, to run out to him. She just, she can't get enough of it. That's your savior. Running to you, running to you, running to the father for you, interceding with joy so that you might have access to the Father by grace, that you might have access to the throne of grace. He is relentless for you to know the freedom the gospel gives you and for you to see the beauty of the law and what it means to belong to him. Oh, that you could be transformed by the heart of your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice this morning. We rejoice in your kindness that we might be free from condemnation. We might be set free to obey and walk humbly before you. But Father, that we would also be free to worship you, free to enjoy you, and to experience your enjoyment as crazy as it sounds, over us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.